Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for Concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-centered leader in confessional broadcasting, Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. Welcome to Concord Matters here on KFUAM Radio, the messenger of good news. I am this week's host, Pastor Joshua Shear, Senior Pastor of Our Savior Lutheran Church, coming to you here from Cheyenne, Wyoming, where it is a beautiful sunny day uh, as we're having a little bit of fall this time of year, which is great, as we are getting ready for Reformation Sunday and everything else coming up. All right, so my guests with me today are Pastor Daniel Hinton of Christ Lutheran Church in Lubbock, Texas. Pastor Hinton, good to have you with us. It's good to be here. Thank you. All right. And then Pastor uh, David Ramirez of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Union Grove, Wisconsin. He's going to be with us in just a little while, so uh, we'll, we'll uh, have I'm, him join in. Oh, he's, I'm with he's, there. he's with us. All right. All right. Pastors are always juggling things, so here he's uh, he's juggling some pastoral care as well as uh, helping to confess the faith here on Concord Matters. So, all right. So we are discussing the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, this document that is our response to the Roman Catholic criticisms of the Augsburg Confession, uh, where we go much more into depth of, of the scriptures and so forth of what the Augsburg Confession properly confesses about the scriptures and what they teach. So. Here we are in Article 23 on marriage, particularly, of course, talking about the marriage of priests. Uh, and, and, of course, that was one of the things that comes out of the Reformation is going back to the Scriptures and what they actually say about marriage and how they do not forbid marriage for pastors and ministers and so forth. So we, uh, we run to that and we run to the Scriptures. And here we have uh, Melanchthon describing this against the Roman Catholic claims. Now, a little bit of the history behind all of this, of course, is at the time of the Reformation, uh, clergy had been forbidden to marry because, of course, that was viewed as a more holy life, uh, that you had to devote your time to God alone and, and all of this. And that was a very pious talk. However, in practice, what this meant was largely across Europe, uh, clergy all over the place had mistresses and all kinds of different concubines and, and just all kinds of other relationships going on. Uh, that, of course, this is what the confessions kind of refer to when they talk about the ungodliness of the time, and everybody knows this. So they, they're referencing this kind of stuff. All right, so <clears throat> we left off at paragraph 28, uh, for paragraph 28 last week. So we will pick up right there. Paragraph 28, Augs or Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article 23. All right, so we're going to read 28 through 30. We will reply to these daydreams in an orderly way. In the first place, these adversaries should acknowledge that in believers, marriage is pure because it has been sanctified by God's word. That is to say, it is a matter that is permitted and approved by God's word, as scripture testifies abundantly. Christ calls marriage a divine union when he says what therefore God has joined together. And Paul says of marriage, of meats and similar things, it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. That is, by the word, by which con consciences become certain that God approves, and by prayer, that is, by faith, which uses it with thanksgiving as God's gift. All right, Pastor Hinton, uh, 
they're responding here in paragraph 28. They're starting to respond to this view that the Roman Catholics had at the time that, yeah, marriage is okay, but it's impure. It's 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 kind of this lower lifestyle that's meant for certain folks that are just can't be clergy, can't be monks, can't be nuns, can't be priests, right? So so what is this teaching us about how we as Lutherans determine whether something is pure or not? Well, repeatedly we have here calls to, to examine the Word of God. Uh, marriage is pure because it has been sanctified by the Word of God. And then they cite Matthew 19, 6 from the Word of God. You know, for when Christ calls marriage a divine union, for example, what God has joined together, but not man put asunder. Um, again, we, we cite 1 Timothy 4, 5. Later, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 7. Um, this is this is not only confessing like a Lutheran, it's teaching you how to think like a Lutheran, which is, what does God, what does God say in his word? How, do you, how does God speak to us in his word? Because this, this is one of the, the chief fights in the Reformation, that you have so many different traditions that come into play, and they can be used against one another so that they speak contradictorily. Well, how do you, how do you set one tradition against another? How do you set one church father against another? the opinion of, of one pope versus the opinion of one council. And the answer for us Lutherans has always been, as it always has been in the Church, to go back to the Word of God. What does God say? Uh, he's not silent on these things, and that's precisely what the Lutherans are trying to put forth, is that God has spoken. And, and earlier on in the Apology, we accused the Papists of breaking the Second Commandment because they, they not only say that these things are good, they say falsely, it's a lie, that God commands these things, and of course, as we know, uh, especially when we read our large catechism, using God's name to defend falsehood is, is breaking the second commandment and is a very wicked and pernicious sin. For this very reason, it robs men of their certainty of, of what God thinks and what God commands and, and what, is, what is their state in life supposed to be. But God has spoken, and God has, has said that these things are sanctified by his word. Yeah, and then, you know, the, the, the conscience can become certain that God approves, because, of course, you read it in God's Word. And, uh, and, you're, and you're right that this teaches us how to think, because, of course, the, the world would try to teach us all kinds of other ways to think. Um, our sinful flesh would want us to think other ways of, of thinking. Uh, this, the, the, the false teachers all want us to think differently. Where, of course, you know, you're reminded of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where, says, where Paul says, you know, you should have the same mind and the same judgment. Uh, that that Christians are called to to have the same mind and same judgment. That is the the same mind and judgment that that the Word of God teaches us to have, and and all these other things that we see out there today, and they call it postmodernism or whatever the new fangled fad word is. It's all the same old stuff. It's all you know all this false teaching and so forth, just trying to draw people away from truth and true teaching based upon God's Word. So we, we have it here, you know, St. Paul says of marriage, it's, it's made holy by the Word of God. But then he adds prayer. But, but notice here, he, he's going to do this a little later, too. Uh, he's referencing prayer, but, he, but he's, of course, meaning uh, that which undergirds all actual Christian prayer, and that is faith, uh, that, that uses prayer as a thanksgiving for God's gift. So, so we're going to see this in a little bit, that... that the callings, the, the vocations, the good works, and so forth, are all mentioned because, of course, they all imply the faith, which is, of course, what James 2 talks about, that this is how you see faith. It's in the works that are done. Not that the works are going to save you, but the faith is there because the works are there, and you see this. 
So uh, that's, that's kind of one of the things that he's talking about here. That this whole purity stuff, uh, Pastor Hinton, uh, do we do we have some like contemporary examples of this kind of stuff going on? Do we do we run into people that that want to try to make certain things pure or impure? Well, I, I, I suppose so. I mean, this is always kind of man's opinion that man will, will if he if he's not regularly uh, informed by the Word of God. He's going to want to insert his own opinions, and he'll want to just just kind of. I, I hate to use the word superstition because even even we say in, in paragraph twenty six, it's not really because of superstition they do this, but but it does come kind of close, and they end up just kind of inserting their own opinions. Yeah, I think. Well, I mean, just a little later here in the apology, uh, Langton's going to call this. Uh, these angelic forms of worship, of course, kind of semi-mocking them that that these are not these are made up, um, man-made things that they try to make it look like you know this is the church's great thing, and of course that's what they do with with clerical celibacy and so forth, um, trying to make this a, a great work which is not in fact commanded by God. Um, yeah, so all right, well let's 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 move into paragraphs thirty-one and thirty-two here. These are these are some great paragraphs. Um, these these are paragraphs that I think uh, are wonderful ones, especially to be read uh, right around that that time in May when we celebrate motherhood. Uh, so this is this is the confession speaking about the the wonderful calling that mothers have. Likewise, the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. That is, the use of marriage is permitted and holy because of faith in Christ, just as it is permitted to use meat and so on. Likewise. She will be saved through childbearing, and so on. If the adversaries could produce such a passage about celibacy, they certainly, then certainly would celebrate a wonderful triumph. Paul says that a woman is saved by childbearing. What more honorable thing could be said about, against the hypocrisy of celibacy than that a woman is saved by the conjugal works themselves, by conjugal intercourse, by bearing children, and other duties? But what does St. Paul mean? Let the reader observe that faith is added, and that domestic duties without faith are not praised. If they continue, he says, in faith, for he speaks of the whole class of mothers. Therefore he requires especially faith, through which a woman receives the forgiveness of sins and justification. Then he adds a particular work of the calling, just as in every person a good work of a particular calling should follow faith. This work pleases God because of faith. So the duties of the woman please God because of faith, and the believing woman is saved who devoutly serves her calling in such duties. I, I don't think I can find a, a lot more in praise of, of motherhood here that, that you know could be higher, because this is a wonderful praiseworthy statement that is made, and how they use it as an example. Um, but this is, of course, what it all comes down to when you're dealing with these folks who want to say that marriage is impure. And of course... We find this nowadays, right? Uh, well, you know, women, oh, oh, it, it, it's okay if you choose to be a mother. Um, but, you know, y y there are there are other greater things, you know, that the world will heap more honor on and so forth, right? Uh, so, Pastor Hinton, can, can you kind of open up this kind of thought and understanding how we can use these passages now and still learn from them and confess them? Well, I, w I would say that, first of all, we should use them to encourage and uplift our wives, our mothers, uh, our sisters, um, 
and our daughters uh, as as they set about finding what 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 holy and godly womanhood is really all about. And unfortunately, uh, women are really just bombarded by this wicked and perishing world by all kinds of false, wicked notions about what it means to be a woman, about what it means to be fulfilled. And what, it, what ends up happening is that these women end up very confused and, and uncertain. And, am I doing what I should be doing? Am I, am I all that I could be? And then for those women uh, who, who are mothers, who keep the house, who teach their children, who learn in church quietly with godly submission, who submit to their husbands in love, um, they end up thinking and sometimes doubting that what they're doing is right because they're getting no messages, from certainly from the world, that these things are, are godly or good or to be um, held up as, as examples of what womanhood is. And so I think we, we use these things to teach, especially Christian uh, women, these, these things that you do in faith, and this, this totally goes to what, what we have in the table of duties at the, at the end of the catechism, that third section of the catechism where all these Bible passages are listed that apply to various people in their various stations in life. Uh, I, I think we use these much like the table of duties to say these are godly things. And, of course, we, we, don't, we don't conceive of these things as good works apart from faith. Um, but here faith, faith is at it. And so the, the, the faithful, believing woman who does these things does a good work. And we should, we should remind them of this, encourage them in this, assist them in this if necessary, protect and defend them in, in these things. Yeah, well, and, and, and by that also help them to gain uh, contentment, because, of course, the world is, is always trying to make them discontent with these God-given callings, vocations, uh, like motherhood, because the world will kind of try to minimize it and so forth. Uh, just nasty, disgusting things the world will push towards our women. Uh, it's it's not good. Uh, not at all. Uh, Pastor Ramirez, are you actually with us at this point? And would you like to add a comment about this, that the woman is saved by by childbearing, that the, the godly gift of motherhood? Yeah, I, I think that the confessions really explain it very clearly and well. I To, to kind of jump off of the of what Pastor Hinton and what you were you were also were talking about is you know you know uh, our wives our parishioners our mothers and daughters are barraged by uh, temptations uh, and one of the greatest temptations I think in this day is what you could justifiably call the neo monasticism so I mean our forefathers in the faith wrote this article against monasticism, which said, you know, marriage isn't pure. It is, uh, you know, maybe it's okay for lesser Christians, but if you really want to be a super Christian, then you got to be a monk, or if you're a woman, a nun, um, or a priest, I guess, too. But, um, but today, even though it does not really necessarily... Uh, have to be in the Roman Catholic Church and Communion. At the same time, it is very, very similar to monasticism, and that's why I've, I've heard people call it neo-monasticism, where people think, if I'm really a Christian, I'm going to go on um, mission trips. If I'm really a Christian, I'm going to be on every board in the Church. If I'm a real Christian, 
this is how I show it by all of these extra things. And again, there's nothing wrong with mission trips. There's nothing wrong with boards at church. All these things are very good. However, uh, you, you got to put first things first. And so I always really emphasize to my people in Bible study and sermons that we do what God commanded us to do, and we start with what we put right in the center of our plate, and that is to be a good father, to be a good mother, to be a good child. Uh, you know, you find your, your role in the, in the table of duties where God has placed you in this world and who he's made you to be as a man or a woman, and you take care of those things first, and that should be the center of your life, instead of looking uh, for these things that unfortunately get a lot more praise today. I, I, I don't know if I'm supposed to do this, but I, I tend to think that it is unfortunate that in, in many Christian publications, even some LCMS publications, there is a lot of talk about here. There's this special niche uh, thing that these people are doing or those people are doing, or come come over and be a short-term missionary or this or that or the other thing. Come, come take a field trip to this disaster area. And while those can be good things, why are we spending so much inordinate amount of time on, on focusing on raising that up when the Bible focuses most of its energy, and certainly our forefathers in the faith focused most of their energy on teaching people the Ten Commandments, the Table of Duties, on how, on how to live your everyday normal life in a God-pleasing manner. And, and that's what the Bible says, as our forefathers said, you know, to be saved through childbearing, through these normal conjugal um, activities, uh, giving birth, uh, being a good mom, uh, talking about the whole life of, of sanctification and, and, and uh, you know, our ultimate salvation. That, that's where our focus needs to be. And I, I, I frankly, as a regular parish pastor, get kind of frustrated when that's not held up nearly as much as all of these side things. Yeah, you you actually should have said that, and you did. That's good because uh, it no one is exempted from these temptations to fall away from God's word and to kind of stress other things more than what God's word does. And well, of course, I mean, I, I have that's to that, that, that neo monasticism, and, and like you said, I mean, these are good things, but again, these are not actually the primary things. The primary things are exactly what you said, the things from God's Word, the, the callings in the home, the callings in the church, the callings uh, in, the, in, the, in the civic realm and so forth. Uh, those are the main things. And, and God has given to men and women different roles in all of those things. And you know what? That's what God's Word says. We leave it at that. That's what we want to live under. If I so. could jump back in again. Yeah, okay? absolutely. Um, and, and again, coming from a, a, parish pa a parish pastor's perspective, it, it can get it, it's very frustrating because, you know, all of these mission trips and all of these very, uh, like I said, niche ministries, uh, they get so much press and so much attention and all this praise and adulation, which, again, a lot of, a lot of them are good and fine and godly. But then I've got people coming to me who say, Hey, um, you know, I don't know if I'm doing enough. Maybe, maybe I need to do this or I need to do that. And of course, maybe if they're in a time of their life or in a position to do so, maybe that would be a good idea. But most of the time, these are people who have their hands plentiful with their with the duties they have to their nearest neighbors, and it creates 
a problem like our forefathers were talking about with monasticism of one of conscience. They don't they they don't see it clearly that yes, they're doing a good godly work and this is what they need to do. Uh, taking care of the neighbors God's placed right in their own home. And instead they start doubting, you know, am I good? I mean, do I need to go on a pilgrimage somewhere? Do I need to do a special fast? Do I need to join some special club to really, really, really show that I'm a Christian? No. Read the Ten Commandments. Look at the table of duties. Do what God says. Trust his word. Yeah, and, and frankly put, if you're honest and look at those things, you'll find more than enough good works to do right where you're at. Um, yeah, usually. <laughs> usually. Yeah, that's true. Thank you. Uh, thank you for that uh, For that good, uh, good reminder uh, to everyone, uh, even to those who make decisions about publications and so forth. Uh, it's always good to be reminded of what God's Word is actually trying to point us to as Christians and how, especially how these things affect us out here in the parish and in the life amongst the households of our of our members and so forth. Uh, this is good stuff. All right, let's go on to paragraph 33 and 34 here. These references teach that marriage is a lawful thing. Therefore, if purity illustrates that which is allowed and approved before God, marriages are pure, because they have been approved by God's word. Paul says about lawful things, To the pure, all things are pure. To those who believe in Christ and are righteous by faith. Therefore, as virginity is impure in the godless, so in the godly, marriage is pure because of God's word and faith. All right. So we have here just a reference to kind of a slogan, as virginity is impure to the, in the godless, so in the godly, marriage is pure because of God's word and faith. Uh, you know, Pastor, Pastor Hinton, this is talking, of course, about, you know, for faith in Christ is what makes everything pure. To the pure, those things are pure. To the impure, so if somebody who's godless, they can do any any number of worldly, praiseworthy uh, things and so forth, but it's still going to be impure. Uh, and so this is what it's talking about, right? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so, so do you have anything you want to add to that? These kind of paragraphs start kind of building off one another and just kind of restate the point. But sure, they do. Um, a, a good illustration of this is. Uh, in, in many of the Greek cults, the cults of the Greek gods, where they had their own temples to, to gods, and, and especially the goddesses, you would have some temple virgins who kind of served at the temple. And I think most Christians would realize that that virginity is certainly not holy or pure because it's done in service to a false god. And I, I think that's, that's a kind of an easy reminder for what, what good works look like. Um, that is that there must be faith, faith in in Christ. And so, you know, the, the, the temple versions of Artemis, for example, um, may not have been, um, or they, they, they might have looked outwardly pure because, of course, they're in a state of virginity, and yet they're doing this in service to a false god. They're, they're a false god, therefore, their works are not, they're not pure, they're not holy. Uh, and, and yet we're reminded here by the Word of God where... Uh, recite Titus one fifteen, under the pure, all things are pure, and and again Melanchthon very very adeptly or very uh, very adeptly uh, tells us what this means. That is to say, to those who believe in Christ and are righteous by faith. So, so again, these these things are pure because they've been approved by the Word of God, and and so to the conscience who is who is 
wondering to the to the conscience that is unsure the word of god is certain and that's that's again one of the the major emphases of the reformation is with all of the the varying opinions that come uh, from men we rest our certainty particularly as regards our conscience only in the word of god which tells us that this is this is a holy and christian thing yeah always going back to the word um, and of course, to the pure, the, all things are pure, which is what the word actually says. Pastor Ramirez, do you want to add anything to this? We got about a minute before our break. Well, I'll just say very quickly. Uh, this is why I love the word "chaste," because chastity and being chaste. Uh, you, you know, I mean, it's different than celibacy or virginity. I mean, how do you lead a chaste and decent life? Well, you do it. If you're uh, unmarried, then you do it by uh, not uh, engaging in activities that only married people should be engaged in. Um, and if you're married, then actually coming together with your spouse um, and having relations is actually a chaste thing. It's a good thing. Um, and that doesn't make you unchaste. Um, so, I, I mean... Uh, at, at our church, we still use the 1943 version of the catechism. So what do you people use? It's not chaste and decent life. What, what, I, I can't even remember anymore. What, what, yeah. what do you guys think? So in the 91, so it's... it's, uh, it's uh, oh, sexually uh, pure, right? Sexually pure, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, so, well, hey, we'll, we will take up this conversation right after our hard break here. So you're listening to Concord Matters and KFUO. We'll be back in a few. Issues Etc. Reformation Week continues Tuesday. Our theme, Paths to Lutheranism, will discuss from Calvinism to Lutheranism with Dr. Leonard Payton. We'll also look forward to Reformation Sunday with Pastor David Peterson. And we'll have Pastor Tom Baker lead us in a Sunday school lesson on the children of Israel crossing the Red Sea. Issues Etc. Live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. Hope Seeds, a Christian ministry which has been sending quality garden seed to a hungry world for almost 20 years, invites you to their harvest celebration on November 3rd at Chapel of the Cross Lutheran Church. Enjoy lunch at noon, followed by a presentation to learn more about Hope Seeds and a concert from Concordia Seminary Men's Course. Chapel of the Cross is located at 11645 Benham Road in Florissant. This is a free event, but a free will offering is welcomed. To RSVP for lunch, email mike at hopeseeds.org. Hope Seeds, plant a seed, feed a soul. St. Louis, I can't wait to meet you. I'm Katie Shurman, author and editor of Emanuel Press's latest release, He Restores My Soul. And I hope you'll join me and my fellow authors, Cheryl Swope, Cheryl Magnus, Heidi Sias, and Heather Smith at 6 p.m. on October 25th at Village Lutheran in Ladue. Cookies will be on hand for consuming, books will be on hand for purchasing, and authors will be on hand for signing. That's 6 p.m. on October 25th at Village Lutheran Church. See you then. In a day when numerous concerns about money and safety abound in this fallen world, there is still a beacon of hope in Christ Jesus spreading the gospel message of mercy. Worldwide, KFUO has been a good steward of donations, ensuring the safety of funds our listener-supported ministry receives. If you have questions about donating to keep this worldwide ministry healthy, send an email to gifts at kfuo.org. 
Game 7 of the World Series. Fans inside going crazy with anticipation. In more than 50 games that year alone, Yankee pitcher Mariano Rivera had entered the ninth inning with a lead of three runs or less and shut down the opposition. But in Game 7 against the Arizona Diamondbacks, things took an unexpected turn. Rivera's decision to hurl his cutter against the Diamondback batter ended in officially blowing one of the biggest save opportunities of the game. The Yankees lost. Rivera said only two things consoled him on that difficult trip home. His wife Clara and his Bible. When Mariano Rivera goes on the field, written on his glove is Philippians 4.13. A reference to the New Testament passage, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Rivera went on to complete his career in 2013 as the all-time saves leader. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. Welcome back to Concord Matters here on KFUO AM Radio, the messenger of the good news. Joining me again today, we have Pastor Daniel Hinton of Christ Lutheran Church in Lubbock, Texas, and Pastor David Ramirez of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Union Grove, Wisconsin. I imagine two different areas of the country receiving very different weather today as we're going through the book of Concord. All right, so we left off a little bit of discussion about the word chaste, which was from the old 1943 catechism and the 1991's catechism change of that word into uh, sexually pure, which I think really narrowed down the definition compared to what uh, Chaste had said. And I think Pastor Ramirez was trying to make that point uh, before we kind of had to go to a hard break. So, Pastor Ramirez, if you'd like to just kind of conclude, you, you certainly can. Oh, I, I was pretty much done. I just think Chaste is a, is a better word. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, it's kind of funny to be talking about uh, being sexually pure and using that term, which most kids go, you, you know, and <laughs> uh, I, I think chaste has a much richer history and tradition, but but regardless of the translation, I, I think chaste is just a great word um, for us to think about how we can be chaste either as, uh, you, you know, uh, people who are unmarried or married. So yeah. That's all I wanted to say. Excellent. Yeah, so let's let's look at this, because paragraph 35 kind of tries to cover this, actually, a little bit. Um, again, if purity is properly opposed to lustful desires, it illustrates purity of heart, that is, lustful desires put to death, mortified. For the law does not prohibit marriage, but lustful desires, adultery, fornication. Therefore, celibacy is not purity. There may be greater purity of heart in a married man, as in Abraham or Jacob, than in most of those who are even truly chaste. So here you, you here you have the the fact that you know uh, marital actions inside the estate of marriage are are indeed blessed, and as as this last paragraph just talked about, they, they're actually good works. Uh, that they are good and God given things uh, when done by those who are have faith in Christ uh, for their purpose and that God has given them. So you have all this wonderful stuff. Uh, but then you have here, again, you, you have the, the Sixth Commandment. It, it includes lustful desires. you know, And, and there, of course, even the celibate uh, would, of course, fall flat. Uh, that, that you can't claim any righteousness from this. So, um, 
Pastor Hinton, as as we teach this in our parishes and so forth, uh, how do we instill this? I mean, obviously we we go back to like the Sermon on the Mount with Jesus and the fact that he he talks about you know if you lust after a woman in your heart you've committed adultery as well. Uh, how do we how do we do that? And then consequently, how do we not just end up in the in the mindset that oh well you know everybody's doing this so whatever. Well, for one thing, purity is not an, at all condemned by us Lutherans in in the Book of Concord, as, as it's not condemned in the Bible. Um, purity, and here Melanchthon lays out purity properly defined, and in the older translation, in, in the, the translation that I've got, the word used is concupiscence, which harkens back to Augsburg Confession Article 2, where we define original sin, where we say, also they, that is the, the churches of the Augsburg Confession, teach that since the fall of Adam, all men begotten in the natural way are born with sin. That is, without the fear of God, without trust in God, and with concupiscence. And that this disease or vice of origin is truly sin, even now condemning and bringing eternal death upon those not born again through baptism in the Holy Ghost. That concupiscence is kind of a, a, a bending towards sin and away from the things of God, being born an enemy of God being born desiring evil. And when God converts us, what he converts in us is the will. And so that, that for us Christians, our will is being conformed to the will of Christ. And, and we, we do have the mind of Christ. Imperfectly, sure. And, and certainly the works that we do in faith do not save us. They're a fruit of faith. But nonetheless, we, we do strive for purity because having the mind of Christ, we want the things that are godly. But, but here, purity is properly defined. It's, it's opposed to concupiscence, that is original sin, and it signifies purity of heart. Um, and, and then Melanchthon just straight up says, celibacy is not purity. And here he lays us, as an example, Abraham. Abraham, of course, for us Lutherans, we remember the greatest thing about him is that Abraham believed God, and it, that is faith, was reckoned to him as righteousness. And so... For us who are children of Abraham by faith, not by blood, that's, that's what an Abraham is most to be commended, is his faith. And therefore, the man who's married um, is, and, and is chased within that estate, for one thing, marriage itself is a creation and a gift of God. It's not man's creation, and it's certainly not wicked. Um, God gave this gift even before sin entered the world. And so um, within this godly estate, Chastity, as, as Pastor Ramirez was talking about, and that is a wonderful word, chastity or, or being chaste. Those who are godly, that is, those who believe, like Abraham and like Jacob, are in fact, even though they're not celibate, they are nonetheless chaste and pure. Yeah. In fact, uh, I, I've been teaching my congregation uh, the book of Genesis for the last two years on Sunday mornings. And, and it's amazing how the Holy Spirit pays so close attention to the day-to-day -day ordinary lives of like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and how all these things are just, you know, the idea of, of having wives, having children, these kind of things are, are paid such close attention to by God, that that these ordinary things, which of course would have been scowled at by, you know, thought as lower estates, lower things, um, are actually praiseworthy and and the holy spirit honors them by through moses writing so much about them um that this is this is just a a wonderful thing that that luther points this out in his commentaries on genesis but just this, the holy spirit through the book of genesis is just referencing this kind of stuff all over and over again 
Let's look at paragraphs 36 through 39. All right. Finally, if they understand that celibacy is pure in the sense that it merits justification more than marriage does, we most forcefully deny it. We are justified neither because of the virginity nor because of marriage, but freely for Christ's sake when we believe that for his sake God is merciful to us. Here perhaps they will cry out that, like Jovinian, marriage is made equal to virginity. But because of such racket we will not reject the truth about the righteousness of faith, which we explained before. Yet we do not make virginity and marriage equal. For just as one gift excels another, as prophecy excels power of speech, the science of military affairs excels agriculture, and power of speech excels architecture, so virginity is more excellent gift than marriage. Just as a public speaker is not more righteous before God because of his ability to speak than an architect because of his skill in architecture, so a virgin does not merit justification by virginity any more than a married person merits it by conjugal duties. Each person should faithfully serve in his own gift and believe that for Christ's sake he receives the forgiveness of sins and through faith is regarded righteous before God. Pastor Ramirez, uh, can you kind of unfold some of this stuff with these paragraphs here? Sure. Um, I think there's two things going on here. Um, first, and perhaps most importantly, you know, they're talking about, uh, as they would say, virginity and marriage here. Neither one of them merits uh, the forgiveness of sin. Neither one of them merits justification. And that's important. And they, they bring up lots of good examples, just like an architect or a road builder or whatever. They don't merit justification because of higher or lesser skills, but justification comes by grace through faith, uh, apart from works of the law, even if they're good works. Um, but there's another thing going on here that I think, I, I think most Lutherans get that. We're not saved because we're married or because we're, 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 we're virgins or celibate. But another thing that's going on here that I think is important is, is that they are making uh, a, an, a concession or at least an, uh, an admission, or maybe, I mean, they're just plain confessing the scriptures. Uh, again, I'm in, I'm in an older translation, but they say virginity is a more excellent gift than marriage. But I think that for us, uh, looking at this, and a lot of Christians saying, well, how should we regard this marriage and virginity, or marriage and celibacy? Well, I think that not only do we have to confess with our forefathers that, yes, uh, virginity is spoken of, celibacy is spoken of as a very high special gift from God, I also think we have to see the difference between the general uh, rule and the exception. And that... and. Uh, that they don't explicitly make clear, but it runs through this whole section, where if you go back to Genesis, God lays down what the norm is. Most people, 99.9%, I mean, I'm, I'm making that up, but whatever. The vast majority of people are not given the gift of celibacy. And that's why when you, you see Adam and Eve, there's in the institution of marriage. Marriage is the general rule. It's holy, it's pure, it's good. Just because virginity is uh, confessed as something that is a very special, high, and holy gift uh, from God that St. Paul talks about in his letters, uh, we shouldn't uh, give people the idea that we should strive for one or the other. There, it's actually a gift. And we should assume that everyone is 
is going to be uh, the norm, which is going to get married, uh, because that's, in fact, how it turns out. Most people, uh, as they grow older, uh, they say, yeah, I desire a wife. I desire a husband. And so that's how we should take it as the general rule, even though we're very aware and thankful for this exception that God grants as a gift to a very small amount of people. So I, I just uh, I, I think that that's a good thing for us to know when we're getting ready to talk to our kids or our parishioners. I mean, it's just like with anything. If you're explaining a board game, just to use a very simple example, you don't go into every single uh, exceptional situation right off the bat. You lay down the general rule. And that, that's how we should approach this, too. The general rule is marriage. Uh, we see this by observation, and we see that in the Scripture. And then there is this exception, um, and it's a very high and holy one. Which is interesting because, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of folks will try to do uh, exceptional theology, as I kind of joke about every once in a while, that they want to try to do theology by all the exceptions. Right, uh, Rather yeah, than starting annoying. with the good, normal, uh, general rules first. So, yeah. All right, so you have this great, great phrase that ends this thing, right? Each person should faith, faithfully serve in his own gift and believe that for Christ's sake he received the forgiveness of sins. So, Pastor Hinton, what is this, I mean, faithfully, so I mean with faith, right? For serving in their own gift, right? This, this is kind of like tables of duty talk, right? Yeah. That uh, we just have this kind of wonderful calling. Each of us has our own, in general, yes, marriage and so forth. But they were supposed to just faithfully conduct ourselves, that is, do our duties, believing in Christ for our righteousness, uh, even uh, even against this. And, of course, this is the whole thrust of, of everything in the confessions, especially when we're, we're dealing with the Roman Catholics. It always boils down to this. The Roman Catholics are looking at all these works, and they're trying to figure out, okay, uh, this work makes me better in God's eyes because this and that and so forth. And they're trying to merit these the salvation and so forth. The Lutherans are like, no, faith in Christ has already justified you. You're righteous because of that. Now we study these good works in order to know best, you know, how it is we we live a godly life and serve our neighbor and so forth that that you know works are the are the fruit of faith uh but that uh we're fighting of course always against this idea that that we're meriting something special forgiveness for for instance uh by our works all right so let's look at paragraph 40 and this kind of wraps up and i think it starts talking a little bit about uh what pastor Ramirez was talking about Neither Christ nor Paul praise virginity because it justifies, but because it is freer and less distracted by domestic occupations in praying, teaching, and serving. For this reason, Paul says, the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord. Virginity, therefore, is praised because of the meditation and study. So Christ does not simply praise those who have made themselves eunuchs, but adds for the sake, to, for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, that is, they may have freedom to learn or teach the gospel. He does not say that virginity merits the forgiveness of sins or salvation. So again, you have here, I think this is what Pastor Ramirez was talking about. This is a great gift, uh, but again, neither virginity nor marriage merits the forgiveness of sins. Neither of those justifies a person. Only faith in Christ does. We'll move on to paragraph 41 and 42. To the examples of the Levitical priests, we have replied that they do not establish the duty of demanding permanent celibacy from the priests. Furthermore, the Levitical impurities are not to be transferred to us. 
Then intercourse contrary to the law was an impurity. Now it is not an impurity because Paul says to the pure all things are pure. The gospel frees us from these Levitical impurities. If anyone defends the law of celibacy with the intent to burden consciences by these Levitical commands, we must labor against this, just as the apostles in Acts 15.10 labored against those who required circumcision and tried to force Moses' law upon Christians. All right, Pastor Ramirez, what are, what are we discussing here? We're now bringing in the Levitical priests. Obviously, the Roman Catholic Church likes to draw in the Levitical uh, codes for priests and so forth into, into the church, uh, trying to draw the, the pastoral ministry from the Levitical priesthood. Um, so what is it talking about here? Yeah, so, I mean, they're, they're trying to use uh, some some of the Levitical practice, or I'm sorry, some of the practices of the Levitical priests in terms of, you know, times when they were to be celibate as a precedent for for, for them requiring priests uh, to, to, you know, to be celibate their whole life. Um, and as as at least my translation says, imposing perpetual celibacy upon the priest. Um, now, without getting into the details of, of what the Levitical priest practice, because actually the Melanchthon kind of ignores that, um, they, uh, his point is, is that you can't take what, uh, what is laid down in, you know, particularly and specifically uh, for the Israelites. And obviously, uh, the Levitical priesthood was not an eternal priesthood. It was for a particular people, particular place, particular time. Obviously, we can look at the Levitical Code and the Mosaic Code in general as 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 a wonderful God-given example of how to uh, of how He applied God. That is, applied the eternal law of God, the moral law of God, uh, to a specific situation, but. That doesn't mean that we must transfer it over to our time and place, um, uh, though the eternal underlying principles are, of course, still there. But, 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 you know, that's I think in some ways not that that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg because also what is in, inherent in in the in the in the Roman Church saying we're we're going to take this we're going to use this as precedent to impose this upon our own priests, number one, this is them uh, going uh, not just far beyond Scripture to impose something, because, of course, you know, all, all of us want good order, um, and, and, and we want the Church to run smoothly, but this is way beyond that. They're going against an institution of God, and that's, that's really what's problematic. It's kind of, it's kind of in, in one way, like when Jesus tells the, the Pharisees, you guys make such a big deal about the commandments of man, um, uh, about the traditions of man, and yet you ignore the commandments of God, like the fourth commandment. Uh, you, you don't tell people to take care of their elderly father and mother. Instead, they can just give an offering to the temple and say, Korban, what was really supposed to be used to take care of you, I gave away to the temple. And in a very similar way here, they are trying to uh, promote a tradition of man, not just for the sake of good order or so that the Church can run smoothly, but over and against an institution of God, that you're not allowed to do it. And, of course, this sets up the justification for priests, nuns, and monks to break their vows, because they were 
wicked vows. It's kind of like if I vowed to go out and murder someone, well, I should repent of that vow because it's against uh, a commandment of God. It's a wicked vow. So you break a wicked vow because it's wicked. In the same way, you can't take a vow and consider it a godly vow. You can't make up a rule or a tradition in the Church and try and enforce it against an institution of God. And Pastor Hinton talked about that earlier. Marriage is an institution of God built in from the very beginning. It's part of His created order. You can't go against it. You're not allowed. Yeah, which which also goes with all the other various perversions of that institution of God that go on today. Um, all these different things. Uh, the gospel frees us from these Levitical impurities again. And then it says, you know, if, if anyone wants to burden consciences by these things, we must labor against this. And this is also a very Lutheran thing. But it's, of course, then they quote Acts 15. This is, guess what, a Christian thing that we that we oppose when people want to put these extra restrictions on for sake of conscience because of course they are they're they're trying to under under like they're supposed to take away the institutions of god they're trying to apply a different kind of righteousness rather than that of faith all these evil and wicked things they're trying to do uh to the priests of their time and so we would oppose that and indeed we should oppose that all right, let's look at uh, 43 through 45, actually, here, and we'll finish up after that, I believe. In the meantime, good people will know how to control the use of marriage, especially when they occupy public offices. These often give good people so much labor that all domestic thoughts are expelled from their minds. Good people know this also, that Paul command, commands everyone to control his own body in holiness. They also know that they must rest sometimes so that there may be freedom for prayer. Paul does not wish this to be per permanent. Such chastity is easy to those who are well occupied. But the great crowd of unemployed priests in the fraternities cannot afford in this sensuality even this Levitical chastity as the facts show. The lines are well known. The boy used to, the boy used to pursuing a lazy life hates those who are busy. Many heretics misunderstanding the law of Moses and have treated marriage with contempt, yet they admire celibacy very much. Epiphanius complains that especially by this approval, the Encritites captured the minds of the gullible. They refrained from wine, even in the Lord's Supper. They refrained from eating the flesh of all animals, in which they excelled the Dominican brethren, who lived upon fish. They refrained also from marriage, and in this particular gained the chief admiration. They thought that these works and services merited grace more than the use of wine, flesh, and marriage. To them, those things appeared to be profane and unclean, and could scarcely please God, even though they were not condemned. All right, so, good people, public offices, Pastor Hinton, this is all going back to the beginning, right, where, where we kind of brought out that, you know, everybody knows this, and the rulers know this kind of wickedness is going on in the priesthood, right? This is what it's going back to? Yeah, as a matter of fact, um, there, there are some asides in the German that are not there in the Latin in, in this article. And it's, it's kind of like Melanchthon is appealing to the German people who read this. Look, you guys understand this. You live it. You see it all the time around you. And, and he uses some examples that seem like the kind of things that people would probably resonate with if they were to read it uh, in a contemporary context. Um, the, the men who are occupied with public offices, then, this is one of the problems with this article. Um, and by the way... That's, that's not in any way lessened in the 21st century. 
one of the problems is, and we, we go into great detail about this in the, uh, the treatise on the power and the primacy of the Pope, is that because, uh, because the Pope believes that he wields both swords, that is, uh, the, the civil and the ecclesiastical power, that, um, that the, uh, the corruption of the priests was, was very seldom, at least in the Christian lands, punished by the, the civil authorities because it was believed that those matters were to be uh, dealt with by the Church. And, of course, the Church um, did not, uh, in many cases, uh, prosecute those wicked priests for breaking their vow of, of chastity. And so... Um, so the good it's like, like office, right from the it's like from like from the headlines today, ripped right from our headlines. It's 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 uncanny how prescient the confessors were 500 years ago. Yeah, that this is uh, this is exactly this is just like what you hear nowadays, where the the Roman Catholic Church believes themselves to be above the law, and uh, this is the result as we have this just horrible offensive scandal showing up and these and all the vile things that are coming out and you know good people know that this is not good this is horrible and it should be punished accordingly uh as as the public offices would would demand so uh yeah this is uh these are you know what lutheran confessions never cease to be relevant uh they never cease to stop because of course they're teaching the scriptures and the scriptures are timeless they're eternal they will they will always have something to say um, for us as we live out our day-to-day -day lives in this fallen world. All right. Well, I want to, first of all, thank both of our guests today, Pastor Hinton and Pastor Ramirez. Thank you both for being a part of this, confessing the faith, discussing things that are good and godly, that is marriage and so forth. Uh, thank you both for being on the show today. And also uh, uh, thank you to all the use, those of you who are out there listening. And I would encourage you to go and do the vocations, the callings that God has given you, starting in your home uh, and then being a hearer in the church. Or if you're a preacher, get back to work, getting ready to be a preacher. Uh, and all those good things that God has set for us to do, uh, these are good and godly things uh, we do because we are righteous in God's eyes, because we have faith in Jesus. So this is the, this is the good news, and this is what Lutherans confess all the time. If you're not Lutheran, go find a Lutheran church and become one. Uh, there, there's nothing more true than what the confessions teach, which is nothing more than what the scriptures teach. So you've been listening to Concord Matters here on KFUO AM Radio, the messenger of the good news. We will catch you next week.